Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. How long can Jim Harbaugh survive in Ann Arbor? The Misery Index from Dan Wolken, USA Today, college football writer just ahead. Also, the Philadelphia Eagles. What is ailing them? Elliot Shore Parks will join us in our final hour. Welcome back to Home and Home on hour number two. We are Radio.com Sports Original. We're brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. We continue breaking down a wild week three with the last game on Sunday late night. The Cleveland Browns actually playing host to a Sunday night football game. Something not seen since I was, I don't know, probably in high school. But the L.A. Rams come to town. They get it done. Jared Goff, another solid but not spectacular performance. Baker Mayfield, a 50% passer. Cleveland had a chance to tie this game inside the five-yard line as the game was expiring or even go for two and win this game. The play calling really was suspect Rams get it done. Ross Tucker home in Pennsylvania to break this one down. Look, Baker is not the guy we saw last season. Does it fall on the head coach? Freddie Kitchens, one of your biggest doubts about this team heading into a much hyped season. So, Dave, I'm not one to pat myself on the back that often. I actually kind of am. I do. Like, if I'm right, I, I probably will tell you. Yeah, if I'm, if I'm being yourself. honest, I actually... You know, you know what's funny? People that go out of their way, like me right there, to say that I don't like to pat myself on the back are usually the people that love to pat themselves on the back. Look at me, two yeah. hands, two hands. I yeah. said before the year, and everybody on 92.3, the fan in Cleveland, got mad at me. I said I like the under on the Cleveland Browns season win total. The biggest reasons were the offensive line and a first-year head coach. Well, here we are, Dave Briggs. The offensive line is not good, and even a tremendous defensive effort without all of their first-string defensive backs, their top two corners, their top two safeties, and still the Browns coulda, woulda, shoulda won that game. If the offensive line played better, Baker Mayfield is starting to hear footsteps he is not seeing things well or playing crisply. And we also had some of the craziest calls I've ever seen. We had a guy in Freddie Kitchens call a draw on fourth and nine. Now, after the game, he just said it didn't work, Dave. But I, I, I have to believe that he didn't know it was fourth down. Like, I have to believe... And I don't think he, I think he just didn't want to admit that publicly. I think he realized that would just make it worse. There is no way on God's green earth 
that you can call a draw on fourth and nine, especially when your quarterback is Baker Mayfield and your wide receivers are Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. Then they get down near the goal line. End of the game, five-yard line, whatever it was, they've got four plays. It's first and goal. They had two or three timeouts. They go empty every play. They don't hand the ball to Chubb, Nick Chubb, once. They don't even have the threat of the run. Four straight incompletions. They don't even throw the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. once. List just in. He's pretty good. I mean, it was, it's honestly mind-boggling. And this was the risk they took with hiring Freddie Kitchens. I thought they should bring him back as offensive coordinator. They made him the head coach. And so far, they have not been the same team that they were the second half of last year. Funny, we had Connor Orr from Sports Illustrated on the program on Friday, and he had watched a lot of the tape of the Cleveland Browns and said that he felt the, the line was very thin between the Browns being decent and excellent, and he thought they were very close to being excellent. I guess my interpretation for the first through the first two weeks is that they were very close to being awful. I thought Baker Mayfield has just missed throws repeatedly. He seemed like he has happy feet in the pocket. He's indecisive. We knew the offensive line would have issues. They've never really committed to Nick Chubb and the running game. They are, I think, a mess going to Green Bay. Who is 3-0? and um, Give Freddie Kitchens this. Uh, whether it's the draw call that Average Joe on Twitter was criticizing immediately afterward or the lack of commitment to the running game down on the four-yard line to try to tie this game. He was ripped early and often and went before the microphone and took all the blame for this loss. Here is the head coach, Freddie Kitchens. If you're saying that after a game that you realize you should have called run plays there. I was being facetious. I should have run it one time. Um, I should have. That's what I'm kicking myself in the ass for right now. Anything that is that an issue with the play calling in the moment? If after the game you're realizing I should have done something that you didn't do, then um, I should have called more of a direct run. That's all I'll say. What happened on the fourth and nine play call? Uh, bad call. Is that the play? Did you want that play call? Yes, I wanted that play call. Just didn't work. It was a bad call. Uh, we're trying to win the game. We we're on that side of the field. Bad call. Okay, so let me just correct myself first. It's Philly who goes to undefeated Green Bay, another team that is a mess right now. Cleveland has it worse. They go to Baltimore. They go to San Francisco. They're home for Seattle. And then they're at New England. This could get very ugly very quickly, Ross. Do you like the accountability from Freddie Kitchens, at least owning up to it? But he did say uh, it wasn't an accident. He knew the down. He knew the situation. Um, accountability, if, if nothing else. Not really. Uh, I mean, I, <laughs> I guess it's better than Adam Gase just, like, throwing his players and other people under the bus. But I don't know. I, I mean, I guess, Dave, I like the accountability. But if he was really being accountable, wouldn't he explain himself? Wouldn't he yes. explain his reasoning, his logic? If he was really being accountable. You know, when a coach just says, 
it's on me, it's my fault, it's a bad call. I don't know. I, I feel like that's just coach speak these days. I feel like that's just, you know, what you're supposed to do. I mean, it's almost like cookie cutter. Now, if he had really explained what he was thinking and why he did it, that would have been a little bit better. That would have been a little more accountability. Like, hey, I, I thought we were going to get a look where we'd be able to pop that draw up the middle and be able to get the nine yards easily. Um, or, you know, he didn't, obviously didn't want to say, you know, he didn't realize it was fourth and nine or maybe it was further than he thought he had to go or whatever it was. He obviously didn't want to say that stuff. And I, I understand that, but you still got to come up with something better. Ultimately, it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, we're going to criticize him either way. I think you'd rather just say it's a bad call and have me criticize him for the coach speak than actually delve into the logic that was illogical. You know what I mean? Like, how do you defend it? You don't. Anything he says actually probably will just make it even worse. So I'm talking in circles here, Dave. I love the way he handled it because whatever he would have said <laughs> to be his logic and reasoning yeah. would have been asinine. So I'm glad he spared us the asinine illogical logic yeah there's no explanation for for in particular the draw call it was predictable what they were doing as they try to win this ball game freddie kitchens feels like a guy who's just in over his head right now it is early but it gets a lot tougher and it could get ugly with some of the personalities the flammable personalities in that locker room here's baker mayfield on the performance 50 percent passing in a week three loss i'm just not executing um I think I'm gonna have recurring nightmares over the uh, throw to Demetrius up top when I think I'll be able to look at the film and know I have Jarvis underneath. Um, just execute, you know. I, I think that's what it comes down to: uh, execution down there, um, doing your job. Uh, we need all 11 guys doing that, and it, it starts with me. So, you know, I heard the backhand of Freddie talking about red zone efficiency, and right now that's a huge area for us to improve on. Um, we'll go back and look at it. I think we matched up well against them. I don't think it's like they're uh, that much better than us. I think they're a great team, but we have to do our job. It's, you know, when you look at everything that happened tonight, if we do our job, I think we handle business. And that's what I think we'll learn from the film. Uh, a lot of things learned from that film. Okay, so if you had the Cleveland Browns, a Super Bowl favorite, and the Philadelphia Eagles, another Super Bowl favorite, going one and two in their first three weeks. I want some betting advice from you because you were in the minority. The Philadelphia Eagles, many felt, had the best roster top to bottom in the NFL. Carson Wentz finally had the weapons that he needed to become an elite offense, and Carson would finally stay healthy. Well, the weapons clearly have not been healthy. Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson both out yesterday. But that was far from their only problem. The Eagles are out of sorts in a lot of different ways. They fall at home to the Detroit Lions yesterday, which was a stunner. Let's hear from Doug Peterson on WIP trying to explain the state of the Philadelphia Eagles. Do you feel desperation already three games in, or is it too early to feel that way? I don't. I don't. And I and listen, I look at the last two games, and I'm like, okay, we've had two opportunities to make plays at the end of the game. 
win the game on both games, the Atlanta game and yesterday, and, and we didn't. So, I'm, I'm, you know, we're going to make those plays. I have, I have trust and, and confidence in our guys that we're going to make those plays. We are our own worst enemy right now, Angelo. We cannot get ourselves out of the way. Penalties, turnovers, and 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 then and then of course we had the special teams, you know, uh, kickoff return yesterday for a touchdown. They had 14 points between a special teams play and one offensive possession in this football game. And then we gave them another six on turnovers. So that's 20 points right there that we, we gave, we kind of gave away. And if we just take care of that and, and, and focus on that and just do our jobs like we're coached to do and, and I've been hired to do, we're going to be fine because, again, you look at the stat sheet the last couple of weeks and, and we're putting up, we're great on third down. Right now, offensively, we're over 54% yesterday. We were great on third down. We were good in the red zone yesterday. We just got to take care of the football and eliminate the mistakes, and we're going to be okay. Okay, that's Coach Peterson on with Angelo Cataldi on WIP Radio in Philadelphia. It wasn't just a special team touchdown. It was a 100 Yard return by Jamal Agnew, one of the great plays of this early NFL season. Carson Wentz, fine, solid, not spectacular, 56% passing. He's been sacked six times in the last two weeks, Ross. You watch a lot of this football team. You cover a lot of this football team. Top two weapons are out. I'll give you that. Still enough, still ought to be enough to beat the Detroit Lions at home. What is the number one thing as you watch this team that ails the Eagles? Oh, in, in this game, it was not being able to catch or hold on to the ball. I mean, the drops, the fumbles. I mean, they, they had seven drops. Think about what Carson Wentz's numbers would have been like if they just catch five of those. You know, and these are critical drops. Nelson Aguilar, again, on what would have been a first down. Even the last play of the game, somehow J.J. Ortega-Whiteside got behind the defense. It was fourth and 15. Wentz put it right on Ortega Whiteside's hands, and he was not able to catch. You know, they call it a 50-50 ball. I know he's a rookie. It was in his hands. And Miles Sanders, Dave, he fumbled twice on the same drive. I'm not sure I've ever even seen that before. Nelson Aguilar fumbled without anybody for the Lions touching him. I'm not sure I've seen that in a long time either. I mean, it's just really hard to win an NFL football game where you get no pressure on the quarterback. That's probably issue number two. Matthew Stafford was not sacked again. And number three, you give up a kick return for a touchdown. That's always going to get you beat. But the number one thing is the fumbles, the drops. I mean, that's 10 times an eagle had the ball in their hands and let go of it. That makes it really, really tough to win. They weren't great in a lot of other areas, but they still win that game and probably going away if they don't fumble and drop the ball like they did. And I don't know what the answer is. You know, Aguilar has a history of it. Miles Sanders has a history of it. And those are the two biggest culprits. But Dallas Goddard dropped one in the end zone. It was, it, it, it's like it's contagious. And those are things that Alshon Jeffrey, other than the playoff game against the Saints last year, and Deshaun Jackson almost never do. I think that losing one of them hurts. Losing two is at this point devastating. Now they got to play Thursday night 
in Green Bay against one of the hottest defenses in football, that will be a tall task for the Eagles, as I still don't expect them to have Alshon Jeffrey or Deshaun Jackson. Yeah, that is a tough turn, short week at an undefeated and a difficult environment to play football. We will talk to Elliot Shore Parks about what he sees ailing the Eagles in the 10 o'clock hour. Long road ahead for a team most had as the Super Bowl contender in the NFC. We're going to talk college football here after the break. Jim Harbaugh, year number five. Many felt this was the year they contended for a spot in the college football playoff. Boy, has that not happened. And now he has no signature win at his time in Ann Arbor. We'll also talk about some Heisman favorites, some spectacular performances over the weekend, including one against Jim Harbaugh's team because Jonathan Taylor, the running back from Wisconsin, is lighting up the stat sheet and he crushed this Michigan defense in the first quarter. Dan Walken from the USA Today after this. Hiring can be a challenge, as Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner discovered. Gretchen needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company. She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team. That's why she went to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience, invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. And that's how Gretchen, she found a new game artist in less than two weeks' time. Results like that, no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now. Write it down. Send yourself a voice text. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. What a weekend it was in college football. And my particular thanks go to the folks at USA Today for reminding me of what an anniversary it is. For those of you watching on the Radio.com app, not just listening, here is the piece. It's the anniversary of what Colorado fans call the miracle in Michigan. The greatest moment, arguably, in Colorado football history. Just a beautiful moment. Who was on the other end of that? Yes, Michigan. Let's talk about Michigan with Dan Wolken from USA Today, college football writer. Dan, good to see you. It's Dave Briggs. It's Ross Tucker. How's the weekend? Oh, well, thank you. Fantastic. Dan. It was better than – Oh, sorry, Ross. Uh, let me go ahead and ask you about Jim Harbaugh, who is in year five, has no signature wins, and seems to have no talent on that roster. How high is he on your misery index? Well, I mean, the whole Michigan thing is is problematic right now because you go in against a Wisconsin team who's really, really good. That should be a measuring stick type game for Michigan. And they just got obliterated. And it wasn't close, uh, not as close as the score indicated because I think that was 35 to nothing. And they just got taken apart in every possible way. So I think that's a real eye-opener for a lot of people who maybe held out some hope that coming off the bye week, Michigan was going to get a little bit better offensively and uh, be able to do some things. And, and they just seem paralyzed right now. Uh, they've got some good players. I don't think their talent is overwhelming. I don't think it's as good as some people think it is. 
the quarterback position has been poor ever since Harbaugh got there. Shea Patterson is not the answer. Uh, so I, I just don't know what their identity is, what they want to do, what they're trying to do. I'm not sure they know. So I just think it's a big mess right now, and I don't think anyone's going to be real happy when you know it's another 8-4 and four type, type year, and it just doesn't seem like a lot of progress is going to get made. So that's the question in my mind, Dan, or at least question number one. If they do finish out this campaign eight and four, nine and three, uh, maybe they split with Michigan State and Penn State, lose to Ohio State. I don't know how they would ever win that game. Is he on the hot seat yet, or does he have a lifetime contract with the Wolverines? Well, I don't. I don't think it's about hot seat. They're not going to fire him. Uh, I don't think that that's really in the cards at all. I think he'll leave or walk away or go do something else before it, it got to that point. Um, you know, his contract situation's uh, been a little bit unusual. Uh, he does not have a long extension. I think everyone can sort of walk away from this pretty cleanly and easily if they wanted to. I'm not sure that's what they want to do or that that's what they're going to do. Because I do think if you're Michigan, you, you have to start looking at it and saying, Okay, well, if, if Jim Harbaugh is not the answer, a guy with his pedigree, as celebrated as he is, as good of a job as he did at Stanford and the NFL, then then maybe it's us. You know, maybe it's not the coaches. Maybe it's 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 our program, and and we're not at that level that we think we are. So uh, I, I don't know what you do if, if Jim Harbaugh doesn't work out. Who do you go get? And I, I think that's really sort of the existential issue that they're going to have to confront. Well, and that's the thing that's interesting. It felt like as Michigan had been down, that getting him was like their big score, Dan. And it was like, this was their big home run. They got their guy. I don't really know where they would go from here. It also feels like with all the stuff he's done with the weird recruiting stuff and the satellite camps and the international taking the team, it certainly does feel like we all talk about Michigan football a lot more now that he's there than we did with Brady Hoke, than we did with Rich Rodriguez. And I know that they're more relevant, and maybe that's because they have had some success. They've had some decent seasons with Harbaugh. But do you feel like – it almost feels to me like Michigan fans, Dan, are just happy that Harbaugh made them part of the national conversation again and that people are always talking about him. Yeah, but that only lasts so long. At some point, you have to, to win and, and get some results. And look, it's not been a disaster. Uh, the program's solid. It's sound. You know, they've made a couple good bowl games. Um, it's not like the bottom's fallen out. But the question is just, are they better significantly than what, you know, your standard replacement-level Michigan coach would be? And the, and the answer is no. Um, you know, so, I mean, there's always a guy you can go get, right? Uh, everyone, uh, you know, Matt Campbell at Iowa State is probably going to be the guy who, who gets uh, or who's sought after for the next big job in the Midwest, whether that's Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan, you know, one of those big Midwestern uh, Big Ten jobs. Like, he'd be perfect for, for that. Um, but I, I think you have to look at the program fundamentally and say, in 2019, are they built – to win national titles or to compete for national titles. I think that's the question here because Michigan's well-known as the winningest program in college football history. That's what they hang their hat on. But they've only got one national title in the modern era, and that was a long time ago now. They've not won the Big Ten very much in the modern era. Uh, 
there's not a lot of great players in the state of Michigan anymore. Uh, recruiting wise, you look nationally, it's, it's, it's not, it's not like you can just go recruit the state and be good. And even if there are good players in the state of Michigan, you've got two major big 10 programs, they're fighting it out and sharing it. So you've got to go outside, you've got to go national. So what's Michigan's edge? What's their advantage? They haven't really found it yet under Harbaugh. They've gotten some guys, but they're not recruited at the same level as the programs that are regularly competing for titles. And I think that has to be the biggest disappointment with what Harbaugh's done there so far. One and six on the road against ranked opponents. Five losses by at least 21 points, including three of their last five as people thinking about $11 million buyout. We're talking with Dan Wolken from USA Today, college football writer. Uh, you write about Kirby Smart, who did get it done this weekend against Notre Dame, but this game was a lot closer than a lot of people thought, including all those in Las Vegas. Uh, Notre Dame had a shot late in Athens in this game. Uh, what was the surprise in this one to you? Yeah, it got a lot closer at the end than really what it should have been with 11 minutes to go, Georgia's up 20 to 10 and gets an interception. And you kind of think at that point, they're about to blow that thing open and, and it never really happened. Um, you know, I, I don't know that there was any huge surprise in the way the game went. Uh, Notre Dame couldn't run the ball. We figured that was going to happen. We you figured Ian Book was going to find a way to make a few plays uh, to, to keep Notre Dame competitive. And, and that's exactly what happened. You know, I think one of the things with Georgia is their offensive line is maybe not quite been as dominant or as good as as people thought coming into the season where they had all this experience returning. They've got massive, huge guys, all highly recruited, very talented. They thought they were going to be the best offensive line in the country. Um, and they've been good, but they have not been spectacular. Uh, Jake Fromm, you know, is a, I think he's a pretty good quarterback, but the way they use him, he, he's kind of a check down guy, you know, and, and they're not challenging people vertically uh, right now with Georgia, and, and maybe that'll come later in the season, but uh, they, they don't look maybe quite as, as dynamic on offense against a quality opponent like Notre Dame as, as, as perhaps you thought, given all the experience. I mean, DeAndre Swift, I don't know that I'd take any running back in the country over him, so um, you know, there's a little bit left to be desired with, with that Georgia offense, and, and, and some of it I just think is approach. You know, very conservative, Kirby Smart's a defensive guy, doesn't like to take too many risks. He trusts his defense, maybe trusts him a little too much uh, because that game almost got, got too close. But uh, I think they need to let, let the reins loose a little bit on, on Fromm because I think he's capable of much more than, than what he showed in that game. Funny you said that. Watching this game, I couldn't help but thinking to myself, if only they'd open it up like LSU, which is a hard thing to even hear coming out of my own mouth because LSU is unrecognizable this year, the way they have opened it up. And Joe Burrow looks like a Heisman contender. What are you seeing there? Yeah, I mean, LSU's rolling offensively right now, and Burrow's been the big catalyst for it. Uh, also, I think you have to give a lot of credit to you know, Joe Brady is the 30-year-old or 29-year-old uh, whiz kid offensive guru who uh, Ed Orgeron had brought in and empowered to – Try, try to transform their, their passing game, and, and it's, it's worked. You know, I think people, as the season goes along, will, will try to you know, make some adjustments, and they'll have some more film on LSU and see if there's ways to, to slow them down. But, you know, right now, I mean, they, they kind of are playing like what you'd think of as a Big 12 team. You know, they're giving up a lot of points, giving up a lot of big play chunk yardage. 
on defense, uh, but they're outscoring people. And, you know, they, they, they seem to be pretty comfortable turning these games into track meets. I'm curious, Dan, just about the nerd aim aspect of it. Obviously, you hit a lot on the Georgia portion of that game, but nerd aim fared better than I think a lot of people thought they would. Everyone said before the game that it would eliminate Notre Dame from college football playoff contention if they lost. Do you really still feel like that's the case, even if they went out from here on out, that their only loss would be a close game in Athens against Georgia? I think they're probably up against it because their schedule giving uh, their schedule remaining now doesn't really give them a ton of opportunities to, to score big wins. I think that's sort of the, the issue that, that they face right now. Um, look at who they've got coming up. And, and you know, Stanford's not very good this year. Uh, in fact, they seem to be actually quite bad. USC is is kind of hanging at the end of the rankings. But you know, I don't think anyone really believes that, that they're going to be like a top 10 type team. Um, you know, obviously, Michigan is not what we thought they were. So where is Notre Dame's you know, big signature win going to come from? Uh, I don't see it. So I, I, I think they're probably not going to make the playoff. Um, but you never know. I mean, there could be some crazy things happen in, in other conferences. And you know, people lose a couple times that, that, you know, they may be sliding the back door. But they're not going to go through the front door. Let me put it that way. Because they're going to have the one loss. And they're not going to have any wins that are going to blow people away. A win that did blow people away from this weekend Arguably the most shocking result in college football. I, I can't imagine anything that was harder to believe than what Chip Kelly and UCLA pulled off against Washington State. They score 50-5-0 points in the second half. They were down 49-17 in this game. They win 67-63. Uh, does Chip Kelly turn things around on that? hard to believe blow your mind type effort Saturday night. Well, I think we'll see, you know, it is one of those games that could just be an anomaly. Uh, you get down huge and the momentum in a game turns and it gets frenetic and, you know, the turnovers and wild plays, it may just have been one of those nights. Right. But we'll find out. They, they have Arizona coming up. That'll be an interesting game. If they're able to duplicate that effort and move the ball with, ease against Arizona, then, then maybe you start to think, okay, they've got something that they can build on that they'll carry through that maybe the worm has started to turn a little bit, you know, but for, for now, um, cause remember they were getting beat really badly in that game. And typically you don't fall behind by that much. If you're a good team, uh, credit to them for coming back. Unbelievable what happened and, and the effort it took to, to score all those points in the end. But for now, I'm not going to totally buy in. I want to see if they can carry any of that over to the next game. I'm curious, staying out west and staying in L.A., Dan, about USC. I mean, even after their freshman quarterback gets hurt on Friday night, they still find a way to beat a top-10 team. Even in the wake of Lynn Swan resigning, what, what does this mean for Clay Helton what does he need to do to keep his job after this season? Well, I don't know that it really changes any of the equation for him. You know, I think that, that uh, USC, you know, barring, you know, really 
winning the rest of them or something crazy like that, which I don't think is going to happen. You know, I think this is a USC team that that is is not terrible. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, they're going to have some losses this year. They're, they're going to stumble. They're not good enough to just kind of glide through and, and, and not stub their toe a couple times. So I, I don't know that it changes anything. But it was a good win. I think mainly for Clay Helton. I, I, I made a joke about this on Twitter, but and it, it got some some coverage because Urban Meyer actually liked one of the replies to the tweet. But And I, I'd say this with some sincerity. You know, I think that was a big win for Clay Helton's next job. Clay Helton is going to be a head coach again somewhere else, in my opinion, uh, because I don't think the the job he's done at, at USC has been terrible, um, so bad that that he couldn't get a job elsewhere. And to to beat a team like Utah, you know, I think will help him his reputation among athletic directors and other people to to perhaps uh, land on his feet somewhere next season. But even within that game, uh, I, I thought USC was actually quite sloppy. Um, they had a ton of penalties. It was it was a mess of a game. They they I thought they looked a little bit undisciplined, but they were able to win, and and so give them credit. I I just don't think fundamentally anything about the situation at USC really changes. Who's your Heisman leader? Where we stand? You know, I don't. I, hard to say. It's so early. The sample sizes are small. You haven't really gotten into the teeth of of conference play, but you can't argue at this point with anything Jalen Hurts has done at Oklahoma. Or, for that matter, that, that Tua Tungabailoa has done at Alabama. Um, put up huge numbers, both of them. They both played clean football, not a lot of turnovers. Um, they both look great in, in their systems. Or They both are going to win a bunch of games. So, I, you know, I think having those two at the head of the pack makes sense. Uh, but, again, you know, I don't even know that you want to be in the lead in the September Heisman race. That hasn't really worked out great for, for a bunch of people. We'll know a lot more you know, in a month, I think once, once we have a few conference games under our belt. Yeah. Two, 17 touchdowns, no interceptions. I can't argue with Jonathan Taylor being in the conversation. He's at 440 yards and seven rushing touchdowns. Dan Wolken from the USA today, college football writer. Great to talk to you, my friend. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles' early season struggles. One and two, a lot of people's Super Bowl pick to win it all. Arguably the best roster, top to bottom in the NFL. And now they go to 3-0 and Green Bay. Can they turn it around? And what is the biggest thing ailing the Eagles? We'll talk to Elliot Shore Parks from WIP Radio after a real quick break right here on Home and Home. You know what I would typically not recommend? I would typically not recommend being in front of hundreds of people and predicting that their team is going to lose that game that day, especially when you're in Philadelphia and especially when they're playing the Detroit Lions. But that is exactly what our next guest, Elliot Shore Parks, from Radio.com, does a terrific job covering the Philadelphia Eagles and the entire NFL did yesterday. Sitting next to me on the Eagles pregame show, he is a brave soul. Welcome back to Home and Home here, a Radio.com sports original, Ross Tucker, Dave Briggs, and we are joined by my guy, Elliot Short Parks. Follow us all on Twitter, at Ross Tucker NFL, at Dave Briggs TV, at RDC Home and Home, 
and at Elliot Shore Parks. Elliot, great to have you. I got to give credit where it's due, man. You you called it. You saw it coming, yeah. and it happened. Well, it's a lot easier to predict something like that when you have you sending me on one side and Ike Reese on the other. So it's a little easier when you know you have that type of a muscle on each side. But here's the reality. The Eagles are not a good football team. And the sooner people realize that, the less shocking it'll be when you pick them to lose. They're 6-8 and eight in Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson's last 14 starts together. They've lost two in a row. They consistently lose on the road. And they never beat good teams. So this mirage that kind of is still around the Eagles, this idea that they're a good team, it just needs to go away. And then it'll be easier for people to realize they're going to be a 500-ish, 7-9 team. There's a lot of problems when you're one and two and you lose to the Detroit Lions. To you, what's the number one thing that ails the Eagles, who a lot of people think have the most talented roster top to bottom? Yeah. It's tough to pick one. Um, I mean, I would say the pass rush might be number one. Their defensive ends have no sacks through the first three games. They have a total of two sacks, and one of them is by safety. So they haven't been getting a lot of really good pass rush. And when your secondary isn't especially good, that's an obvious problem. Uh, I think the biggest problem with this team, though, and I, I've said it a lot, but I'll say it again, the, the start to games. This team consistently falls behind. They've been behind in each game at halftime this year. They've been behind in seven of their last eight games with Carson Wentz, a quarterback. And you can forget, like, the clutch narrative and all that. Any quarterback is going to have trouble winning when you're always behind at halftime. It just is what it is. So, yeah, Carson hasn't shown he can win games late, but it's that that's not the problem. The problem is they're falling behind early. And until they fix that, it's, they're just going to keep losing. Is there any explanation, Elliot, for the, all the drops and the fumbles, other than, I guess, for Aguilar and Miles Sanders, them both having a history of it? Because the reality is, if they just don't do that, they still win the game. I mean, if they just don't fumble it the way they did and drop some of those passes, they still win the game, even though they didn't play great in other areas. Yeah, so here's what I would say about that. One, you're you're right. If they catch the if Goddard catches that ball in the end zone, I thought the JJR Sega white side catch was a little tougher than people are giving it credit for, but still probably Bali should have had Miles Sanders with two fumbles. Those things they, they can't happen, right? But the issue is it's something every week with this team. It was against Atlanta, it was a drop by Aguilar. This week it's drops and it's injuries and it's fumbles. Last season it was, you know, injuries in the secondary. So sooner or later, it's hard for me to sit here and say, well, if they catch that ball, then they win the game because they never catch that ball. It's always something different. Now, yesterday was a perfect storm, seven drops. Uh, you know, like I mentioned, the Goddard one was really bad. But again, it's just it's what this team does. So I have a hard time sitting here and saying, well, if they were, you know, if they didn't have injuries or if Aguilar caught this ball, they'd be three and oh, they, they, they never do that. Uh, you mentioned the two sacks the defense has. Carson Wentz, meanwhile, has been sacked six times in the last two weeks. How big a problem is the offensive line, or is Carson not getting mm -hmm. the ball out? Uh, I think it's a combination. Um, Isaac Sayamalu against the Falcons had one of the worst games you might ever see an offensive lineman play. So I'm not going to absolve the offensive line completely. That being said, I do think Carson is holding on to the ball too long. Uh, last year, or I should say last offseason heading into this year, um, the, the whole kind of talking point from them was we want to get the ball out quick. We want, we want to move the ball quick. Carson needs to get the ball out just a little quicker. And kind of reading between the lines, one thing they said was Carson can learn from Nick Foles with how quickly Foles got the ball out. 
Last year when Foles took over from Wentz, starting in week 15 against the Rams, from there until they were eliminated, he got the ball quicker than any other quarterback in the league. This year, so far, and week three hasn't been updated yet, but I'm guessing it wasn't great, Carson is around 19th in the league in getting rid of the ball. So it's a combination of the offensive line, but it's also a combination of Carson holding onto the ball a little too long. We're talking with my guy, Elliot Shore Parks. He is the host of the Prevent Defense podcast right here on radio.com or the radio.com app. You know, the scary thing is, Elliot, is now they play the Packers on Thursday in Green Bay. Packers defense is looking ferocious. I mean, do you give them any chance in that game? You know, for some reason, my gut is telling me they win that game. I, I don't know why, but that's just my initial reaction. But when you look at it, just X's and O's wise, there's no reason they should win this game at all. The defense hasn't been able to get pressure. Uh, and with Aaron Rodgers, going to be easily the best quarterback they faced so far. Uh, Matt Ryan was terrible against them. Matthew Stafford was okay. And Case Keenum was okay, but none of them are Aaron Rodgers. So if the pass rush remains an issue and they have to blitz to get pressure, Aaron Rodgers is going to pick them apart. And then you bring up the Packers defense. Packers defense has been much improved. I don't know if they're, you know, like a top five type unit yet, but they're definitely a really good, a really good unit. And this Eagles offense is probably going to be without Deshaun Jackson and maybe Alshon Jeffrey again. Also, Carson Wentz, 8-13 on the road. Last year, they got blown out by the Saints on the road. They've never shown they can beat good teams on the road. So there's no reason to think they will win this game. But for some reason, I feel like they have a decent shot. Wow. So the same guy that picked them to lose at home to the Lions might pick them to win on the road yeah. against the Packers. I know what you're doing, dude. You're doing that thing where you do the opposite of what everybody else <laughs> does so that everybody notes it and be like, wow, I can't believe he did that. And then if you're right, you're a genius. If you're wrong, nobody remembers. I got it. I, I see hey, your man. game there, you Parks. Know I'm 40 and 14 picking the Eagles game since I joined the beat. So, you know, like sooner or later, I just know what I'm doing. But I, I, you got to go against the grain sometime. So what about the division? I mean, you know, the, the Cowboys play the Saints, who will not have Drew Brees, even though they had an impressive win up in Seattle. It's very possible that the Eagles are down three games at the quarter pole. At this point, should they almost give up hope? Of winning this division? You know, I don't want to say they should give up hope, but I feel like it's it's getting close to that time if they lose on Thursday. The, the tough thing for the Eagles is, and we talked about this when we previewed the season, is the first eight to ten games of their schedule are really, really tough. So, yeah, they go to Green Bay, and then they get the Jets at home. After that, at Minnesota, at Dallas, at Buffalo. Two of those teams are undefeated, and the Vikings, I think, have been pretty good. So those are three really tough games. Then you get the Patriots at home, the Bears at home, and the Seahawks at home. All those games are going to be pretty difficult. So if you do fall to one and three, you're realistically maybe looking at like three and five, you know, four and six, something like that. And the Cowboys' schedule is easy. Now, if they can keep this close, things flip in the second half. The, the Eagles' schedule gets a little easier, although Daniel Jones might flip that. Who knows? And the Cowboys' schedule gets a little tougher. So... I don't think it's completely over, but in two weeks, if we're on this show and I'm talking, I, I it could be. <laughs> What'd you make of Daniel Jones? He looked really good. I mean, his first start 
Fourth quarter comeback, no Saquon on the road. He has one fourth quarter comeback in one game. Carson Wentz has four and 40. So it's encouraging. It definitely is if you're a Giants fan. Uh, his numbers were really good. I haven't had a chance to watch the whole game yet, but it was extremely impressive what he did. What's on the T-shirt? 94 WIP, baby, all day. Yeah, About to go rep him at the gym. Yeah, got to. <laughs> Repping. All right, Elliot Shore Parks, listen to him on WIP. Don't miss his podcast, the Prevent Defense Podcast. Nice T-shirt, brother. Best of luck. Enjoy Green Bay on a Thursday night. Will do. All right, I'll talk to you guys soon. All right, Matt Ross, we want to get into the situation in Jacksonville because Jalen Ramsey, who wanted to be traded, played Thursday night, got the win. Defense looked pretty spectacular. Suddenly calls in sick on a Sunday night. Won't practice with the team today. And it's rumored that might not practice with the team in a week. Uh, where is this headed? I, I really I wanted to turn and just say, hey, I applaud Ramsey for playing like a professional. This is a very good defense. But now to call in sick, uh, I don't know. Is, is the trade market going to move in his favor? How does Doug Marone, how does Shahid Khan play this the way he is trying to force himself out of town the way other players have this season? You know, this is going to be interesting because I think after they won that game, Dave, and had the good vibe of beating the Titans and they got caught up yeah. a little bit in Minshew mania, I think they looked at the AFC South and said, why not us? Texans have their issues. Colts and Jacoby Brissett look pretty good Sunday, but they're not unbeatable. Why not keep Jalen Ramsey and try to be good this year? We can trade him after the season. They have him on the fifth-year option for next year. So why not take a run at it this year, especially if you're Tom Coughlin and Doug Marone and you're probably on the hot seat? Why would you want to trade him and get future assets that don't really help your butt keep a job. Speaking of assets, you got to try to keep that job in Jacksonville. So trading Jalen Ramsey does nothing for Doug Marone and Tom Coughlin. I think they're going to try to figure out a way to not do it. Jalen Ramsey's playing hardball. Not sure I've ever heard of a guy calling in sick. They usually want you to show up at the facility anyway. Then they'll send you home if they think that's what's best. Uh, let me just say this, Dave. I have my doubts whether or not Jalen Ramsey is actually sick. <laughs> you do, do you? I really think this is weak sauce. I mean, they signed you to a contract. Uh, they've now said they would like to keep him. Shahid Khan has gone on record saying he would like to give him a big contract and keep him around. This is a defense that's capable with the play of Gardner Minshew of winning this division. It would be nice if he would honor that contract, be a man, show up. And if they find the right deal, they're going to trade him. If they get a first and maybe a second rounder, can't help but think the Philadelphia Eagles or somebody desperate in the secondary will make a serious play at him. Probably not two number ones, but the way he has played, you would think a nice offer would come in. Just an unprofessional move, but we should not be at all surprised. The NFL is now... Uh, Trending towards the NBA. It's certainly looking like players have all the control. Will he talk his way out of town? Uh, we, we would like to see, you know, you would think we would see that over the course of the next week. When we come back uh, after a quick break, we're going to get into all the incredible 
rookie quarterback performances, some second-year quarterback performances, a lot of change at that position. You can feel it across the league as new faces are stepping up, and they are stepping in with some excellent performances. We'll talk about this guy, Danny Dimes. I hate that one. Dan O'Mite. That, that does not do it for me. But we'll talk about Danny Dimes and the Giants and all the quarterback performances when we come back after a real quick break here on Home and Home. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.